You're listening to the pulpit of Marion Avenue Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us for today's message. For additional resources, you can visit us online at marionavenuebaptist.com or by calling 855-825-4113. The truth will make you free. How many of you want to find something good tonight? You want to find something good? Raise your hand. You want to walk out of this with a smile that you just can't contain on your face because your life is better. I know it's about pleasing the Lord and doing what is right, of course, but uh, it, it, God wants us to rejoice and have joy and find good. And if you want to find good, if you're awake enough in life to find good, then turn to Proverbs 16, and we're going to find good in the Word of God. Proverbs chapter number 16 and verse number 20. Proverbs chapter number 16 and verse number 20. When you've found your place, if you'll stand to your feet, and we will read one verse. Proverbs chapter number 16, and today's proverb, December 16. Proverbs chapter number 16 and verse number 20. Would you read it out loud? Ready and go. He that handleth a matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. I'm going to preach tonight in common sense wisdom in marriage common sense wisdom in marriage. Father, bless us, I pray. Anoint this time together, and I pray that our hearts and lives would be changed. Give us vision, Lord. If you do not, uh, are not seen, if you are not seen, Lord, then we're going to uh, have no motivation. We're going to have no purpose, no reason to move forward. I pray tonight that you stir the fire, light the fire in our hearts, I pray, with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The Bible says, he that handleth a matter wisely shall find good. That is a promise. Notice behind me, Proverbs 9.1, the Bible says, wisdom hath builded her house. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, in verse number 3, through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established. Solomon is the writer that God used to write the book of Proverbs, and there was thousands upon thousands of Proverbs, and yet we have the most important. How are they the most important? Because they're what God wanted us to have right here in the book of Proverbs. And we see that, that Proverbs is a book of wisdom, and Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, or that ever would live, God gave him that wisdom, uh, was used to write this book. And Solomon, it was said of him in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 4, that when the king, queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he built, and it goes on to talk about the, his servants and how he managed it and how they were happy. If you know the story, there was joyful, there was organization, there was relationship, there was everything that needed to be in this house, in this organization, in this kingdom. But it starts by her seeing his what? His what? His wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. The Bible says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. The Bible then says to the man, A man shall be commended according to his wisdom. But he that is of a perverse heart shall be Despised. As we think of those two verses, every wise woman building her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with their hand, and every man being commended according to his wisdom, but he that is of a perverse, meaning a backwards, not a wise heart, uh, is despised. We think about the reason, we see the cause and the reason why 
Here's a key statement. One out of every two marriages end in divorce. Why? Because wisdom is not being applied. Therefore, no good is being found. Amen. You ladies nod your head up and down and say, I agree with that, okay? You men say amen to that right there. No good is being found. He that handleth a matter wisely shall find good. Would you say that together with me? Ready and go. He that handleth a matter wisely shall find good. I challenge you tonight to get counsel from the book of counsel and heed it. Listen to it. This is the very point of the message is common sense. Then when something is fed to you, that you eat it and allow it to bring nutrient to your life. Now, wisdom used to be known as common sense. Common sense. But it's not so common anymore because we've departed from the Bible. So when I use the term common sense, I'm talking about common sense wisdom, which is Bible wisdom that used to prevail when the Word of God was known. You don't have to look far into the world to see that the world is idiotic and stupid. Maybe it's just that I got older, but I remember as a teenager, even growing up in a good home, there were times where the bright lights and I thought, what am I missing out? Now today I'm like, I don't want anything. Y'all aren't even enticing anymore. You're stupid and dumb and idiot. There's no common sense. And you just look at what the world applauds and all the business of the world. Anytime there's anything having to do with um, homosexuality or sodomy, it's all applauding, applauding. I'm like, you know, just ask my grandparents to generate. That is not common sense. A man with a man? A woman with a woman? That is not common sense. You look at abortion. It's not common sense to cry and weep and as one university did, bring in a bunch of trees and plants into their big hall and literally get down and ask forgiveness for the sins of destroying and hurting plants and animals. But yet those same people being on live interviews saying as long as the baby is still attached to the umbilical cord, you can butcher it even outside of the body. That's not common sense anymore. It used to be even, even people that were not born again believers, but they were in the old Western movies, they called them God-fearing people. They were people that had Bible wisdom, common sense, and there's no common sense anymore. My body, my choice, have it my way, unless there's a virus that has a 99% survival rate, and then it's like you lose all your freedoms, you wear a mask plastered across your face, who cares about the little babies being butchered, and uh, so many things. Obviously, I could go on a rant for a long time about no common sense when it comes to what is happening uh, in America today with all the COVID uh, garbage, but uh, we will not get into all of that. Here's what we need to know, that when marriages get away from God, our understanding becomes darkened and we realize that we're not operating out of common sense and we whine and complain and seek counsel and we're trying to figure it all out, but we're not operating in, in the wisdom of God because we're not having spiritual intimacy with God. Ephesians 4.17. Would you look at it? Ephesians 4.17. I think I might have it here. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth uh, walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding uh, darkened. Uh, Ephesians 4.17. Verse 18 says, having their understanding darkened. Vanity of the mind. That's where we are today. The vanity meaning, I think I'm smart, I think I've got it all figured out, but I don't. We've taught what vanity is here, a perceived fullness. It isn't like, oh, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. No, I know what I'm doing, when in reality we don't know what we're doing. And that is what is happening in marriages 
There's no common sense anymore because we think that we're okay and I know, I know, I know and we can't listen to preaching anymore. We can't listen to parents anymore. We can't listen to pastors anymore. And really, in reality, what we are is a bunch of little idiots running around thinking that we got it all figured out when we know nothing. Wisdom is the principal thing and wisdom comes from God and wisdom is the only thing that can bring good into your marriage. It's what builds the house. There's just no more common sense today in marriage. I wanted to take a long time just for fun to give you some of the advice that's out there, even in Christian circles in marriage, and it's laughable. It's crazy because there's a vanity. It's a fullness. Oh, we got it all figured out. When you come to this old book, you're able to get some good, old-fashioned, common sense wisdom. And it's time... Uh, that we got with God and had that spiritual intimacy and read this book of Proverbs. Matter of fact, several of the scriptures today, and I've been planning this message for quite some time, they're right out of Proverbs 16, which I happened to be reading this morning. I thought, oh, Lord, I'm going to be there tonight. <laughs> and, and that was uh, here in December 16th, just reading the book of wisdom. And so common sense in marriage, it's what is missing. And tonight I want to try to give you some common sense, like my mother who had a lady come to her and she had a long face and was complaining and complaining. I, I remember her uh, sharing this with me when I was older and, and uh, I have no idea who it was, but she was complaining and complaining about her husband and he didn't love her enough. He didn't buy enough for her. He wasn't kind enough to her. He stayed out kind of late sometimes working overtime. And, and she went on and my mom said, I just sat there and listened to her drone on, milly mouth on and milly mouth on and milly mouth on and go on and on and on. And uh, he says, and she ended the thing, says, and I just feel like he doesn't want to come home to me at night. And mom says, are you finished? And you'd have to know my mom. She could tell it like it is. And uh, she says, well, yes. My mom looked at her and says, honey, if I was married to you, I wouldn't want to come home to your long face either. Now that's common wisdom. Was it wisdom for her to say it? I don't know, but it was wisdom in what she said. Another lady came to her and says, you know, my husband, he works hard, and I understand that. I understand that, and I understand the season. He's got to work late, or whatever the case was, but he comes home at 11 o'clock at night, and he wants to be romantic, and just complaining and complaining and complaining she was, and she got done, and my wife, my, my wife, my mom just smiled at her and says, and she says, what, the, the lady said, uh, what is wrong with him? My wife looked and says, well, honey, you married a man. What do you expect? <clears throat> common sense wisdom when it comes to marriage is not common. We want to dialogue it, have all these conversations about it, but not just wake up, use some common sense in marriage. Now, we can't cover everything tonight, but if you'll buckle up for a little while, we'll come to the principles of the Word of God and we'll give you some common sense. Some will be pretty strictly just along um, the scriptures here, and I won't give illustrations, others I will, but I want you to listen carefully, and I'll give you notes later, so if you're going to try to write a bunch tonight, personally don't recommend it, but if something sticks to you, you can have it, and don't be overwhelmed, let's just get into some common sense. You ready for some common sense in marriage? Just kind of some, in the 90s, they, they called it like, duh, you know, duh, like, the, the, you know, use your brain, a woodpecker does, common sense. Number one, what happens when there are no fruits of, spirit, of the Spirit in our marriage? 1 Corinthians 13, it's not there. Love, joy, I'm taking these in order. I'm just reading Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. 
Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. That's dying to self. Almost every question that gets turned in. Great questions, please give them in. But if I wanted to just give the short answer, I'd just say die to self, die to self, die to self, die to self, die to self. But, but how come there's no temperance? How come these things are not manifesting in my marriage? Here's the common sense wisdom. The fruits of the Spirit cannot be obtained without the Spirit of the fruits. Fair enough? If you want those things in marriage, then you're going to have to get the spirit of the fruits in marriage. Amen. Yeah, but, but, but nothing. Amen. Number two, you will never get more out of a marriage than you put into it unless you put the Holy Spirit into it. And then you always get more. Amen. Fruit multiplies. And God is the giver of fruit. You never get more out of marriage unless you put something into it. And when you put the unless you put the Holy Spirit into it. And when you put the Holy Spirit into it, you reap more than you sow. In other words, if you plant an apple seed, you get an apple tree which bears lots of fruit. Do you understand that? But if you're trying to put good into a marriage without the Holy Spirit, it sounds like I'm repeating last week's message, aren't I? But that, it's just so common sense. If you're putting it with a spirit that has walked with God and prayed the best you know how, as a good old farmer that may not be a preacher, may not stand on the platform and sing or even lead a class, but that loves God. A, a, a laborer, a mama, a teacher, whatever. You love God and you're putting in with the spirit-filled life. You're going to get a whole lot out of it. But again, for the rest of you that don't want the spiritual intimacy or the character of it, then you're not going to get any more than you put into. And matter of fact, what you put in will actually be damaging when it looks good. That is just common sense because marriage is an ATM. You better be making some deposits in that little slot and it better be enveloped by the Holy Spirit of God. You say, what does that mean? Go watch last week's message or listen to it. The spiritual intimacy and simple prayer and Bible reading and seeking God and having a short account with God. Being real, being spiritual. Put that in the envelope so then you can just keep withdrawing and withdrawing and withdrawing because you're going to have bad days. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage humanly. Do you understand that? You're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. We all do. We all make mistakes. I came into the office on Tuesday morning. We had Monday off. And I kept thinking, I actually had come in on Monday to do some work, but I came in on Tuesday morning and I remember I had smelled it Monday and I thought, man, what they are doing out there is intense. I had seen them doing electrical work and I thought, this is intense. They're soldering something and it was the most crazy smell. And I remember in the back of my mind thinking, it smells like some of that potluck uh, from Sunday, but um, it's too strong. I mean, it'll knock you over when you walked in the door. Well, anyways, Tuesday morning in staff meeting, the summer says, I found a casserole in the oven and the oven was still on and it was baking from Sunday at 1.30. Now, wait a minute. I'm not saying, I don't think it was the team, the good team that did it because there's a lot of people shoving stuff in the oven and we have a shutdown, but thank God our church did not burn down. Was it done? It was done. What was it? It was some kind of casserole of some sort. We'll have it, we'll serve it uh, to, to some of you after service and you'll know how his husbands feel. But anyways, no, Lord help me. Uh, that's not common sense. I'm going to hit on that in a little bit. But what am I getting at is no, you're not gonna, no matter how much you try, you're not going to bat a thousand. You're not going to be perfect. You're not going to hit on all cylinders all the time. So envelope it with the Holy Spirit of God. You will not get more out of marriage than what you put into it. So put it in with the Holy Spirit of God. The ATM is marriage. Number three. How can we tell if there's a satanic spirit of pride ruining our marriage? You say, I've never asked that. I know, I'm trying to give you a question that maybe you should ask. 
from common sense. Well, surely, I don't. You know, I don't. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Well, surely not ours. Do I have the spirit of pride, the Luciferian spirit of pride, the first and original sin? Here's your common sense. Are you ready? Common sense wisdom. You see or have or sense contention in marriage. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 13 and verse 10, only by pride. Say those three words together. Ready? Only by pride cometh contention. But what the well-advised is only by pride. You say, well, what's contention when things get tense? Well, I'm just stressed out. It's tense. It's tense. Die to self. Give it to God. Commit your works to the Lord. It's not about you anyway. Give it to God. Take a deep breath. Go get along with God. Say, Lord, I'm in up over my head. I got 14 kids hanging off me, mashed potatoes slinging across the way. My boss, my job, my, you know, whatever the case may be. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Die to self. If there is tension or contention, there is pride. Pride. Only by pride cometh contention. Two mountain goats, one coming down the mountain, the other coming up the mountain. True story. And the man watching out the hotel window, watching it, I think in the, in the, in the Swiss Alps, and it's just a little ledge, just one little foot could come, and he thought, somebody's going to die here because this one can't go up and this one can't come down there at an impasse. And he watched for a few minutes that the one above got down as low as he could, and the one below literally walked over the back of the one on top, and they both went on their merry ways. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is humility, because people that do not have humility cannot be instructed. No instruction. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to, you know, it's, it's blank wall. <clears throat> so, you can tell if there's a satanic spirit in your home. So a man said, I told you to get those kids quiet. That's pride. Lady, where have you been? That's pride. It's pride. It's just pride. And it's satanic. And it's common sense to say, God, I don't want that spirit of pride. Help me to die to self. Number four, never fight a battle where there is nothing accomplished by the victory. Never fight a battle where there is nothing accomplished by the victory. The Bible talks about passing by and, and intermeddling with a matter that does not belong to you. I think I have this scripture possibly. Uh, and, and, and Proverbs talks about this. And he says, you're like a person that takes a dog by the ear. I wrote in my Bible, you're going to get bit. You're going to get bit. And people argue over the dumbest things with nothing to win. You want to answer the question, what am I going to win? And if it has anything to do with you, you've already lost. These are actual reasons recently why people got a divorce and filed it. It's on record. I could show you the record. I mean, this is 2020, 2019. And by the way, I won't list them all. Some was because their husband voted for Donald Trump, um, literally. And so they divorced him. But listen, to these actual reasons why people have gotten a divorce recently, because he didn't like Frozen. An anonymous 29-year-old woman reportedly divorced her husband after he told her, I just don't care for it. She divorced him. Secondly, another because he left dishes in the sink. She says, and I quote, every time I'd walk in the kitchen and find a drinking glass by the sink, I moved incrementally closer to moving out and ending our marriage. I just didn't know it yet. Next, because her makeup wasn't waterproof. That was the actual statement. 
According to Mr. Perfect, this 28-year-old deceived him by using so many cosmetics and fake eyelashes that washed off as they enjoyed the beach day after their marriage. The total idiot award goes to you-know-who, the writer writes here. It's incredible. Next, because he would not take her career seriously. That's what was listed as the divorce. By the way, that was Judge Judy. She divorced her first husband because he viewed her career as a hobby, so she divorced him. Next, because he didn't text back. Next, because she just had to have her Snapchat. Next, because he would not install a, turn a, a tournament, a toilet. Next, because he did not shower for eight weeks. Now, I'm with that one, but... <laughs> if you will get this common sense, I can hear my mom and my dad telling me right now, don't ever fight a battle where nothing is gained by the victory. And if you are standing in the circle of the victory, then still nothing is gained by the victory. It's like Pastor Michael said this morning in staff devotions, we were just having a time of prayer. And he says, you know, I've got a, a, a plaque hanging on our bathroom window that says, bathroom wall that says, don't choose to be right, choose to be happy. You say, I don't like that, I need to be right. Well, then you're wrong because the Bible says submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Outwardly protecting our family, we got to be right in the Word of God, right? But you don't have to be right in marriage. Stop it. Stop it. You don't have to be right. You can shut your mouth and prefer one another. So, Brother Michael made a statement that I think needs, we need to, Michael, I mean, um, Michael G. Griswold, or wait, what's your middle name? Scott, Michael Scott Griswold. This is a statement. I literally about fell out. I've said, Michael, that's the best statement. This statement needs to go viral. He just followed it up just off his heart. He just says, when I do these things, when I choose the battles that I had asked him, I said, pray about the message tonight. And I happened to mention this one point out of all the points that I'm giving tonight. And he just says, when I do that and I fight, here's what he said. And I wrote it down. Never have I felt so wrong for being so right. Is that good or what? How many of you have ever, you've won an argument, never have I been felt, never have I felt so wrong about being, somebody raise their hand tonight, you've been there, never, it's mainly guys in the air because we'll win those stupid arguments, and a marriage goes to an early grave by many little digs, and never have we felt so right, excuse me, so wrong by being so right, and in the end, we're probably not right anyway, we just think we are. And many marriages are fighting stupid battles. Well, she spent too much on pickles. Come on, folks, seriously? We're like the family visit on the Andy Griffith Show. I learn a lot from the Andy Griffith Show. Absolutely. This is what a lot of marriages look like. Take a look. Uh, how are you boys doing? You comfortable, Ollie? Nora didn't bring my goose down pillar. No, I didn't. I thought you did. After all, you're the one that uses it. Well, I forgot. Well, you always forget. I do not. Well, yes, you do. You forgot your goose down pillow. You forget everything. I do not. Yes, you do. You forgot my birthday. You forgot our anniversary. What's that got to do with my goose down pillow? <laughs> Just shows how you are. You forget. You always forget. I do not always forget. If I have told you once, I have told you a thousand listen, times. Listen, why don't we take this up in the morning when we've all got some rest? Your information. I forgot our anniversary because the foreman sent me around looking for a spindle wrench just at quitting time. We'll say no more about it. Andy has to get his rest. 
But you do forget. <laughs> Sleep well. That's just like her. She always starts a fight at a time like this just when I'm relaxed. It's like she plans it. Well, I wouldn't worry about it, Ollie, if I was you. Except that now I'm not going to sleep a wink. She's got me all on edge. She always does that. All right. Well, how are you what was What was gained by that? And by the way, that was Andy's uncle, Ollie, and that's the way they used to sleep back there for you young whippersnappers wondering what's going on. But nothing was gained by the battle. And we laugh about it, but that stuff happens daily. And common sense says, if you do not look at, you say, well, then what needs to be won? What battle needs to be fight? What, what gain? The Bible says, he that handleth a matter wisely. The Bible says, he that taketh the dog by the ears. He says, in a matter that does not belong to him. So you look at, God, what have you spiritually called me to do? Those are the battles that I have to engage in. Amen? And if it really boils down to it, most men especially, don't have the spiritual backbone and fortitude to fight the real battles, to stand guard in marriage spiritually, to stop gossip, negativity, bad attitude, to stand up to a child not doing right. Well, but we're fighting all these dumb battles and God have mercy on a marriage that way. God have mercy. Why is it? Why is it that we nitpick, but we won't stand and fight the battles that we have as a jurisdiction? The true battles that matter to stand and have some gumption. I thank God for a dad who would stand up to me. Parents are too soft nowadays. He would stand up to me and say, son, I don't care if you're 18, 19, or 20. You're not going to act like a little punk. Here's what you are going to do. Parents are so soft when it comes to that, but milly mouth about everything else. Never fight a battle, you see it there, where nothing is accomplished by the victory. I want you to think about the bear some things principles. The Bible talks about this in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 7. It's talking about love and that charity love. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. If you could learn to just bear, th bear some things and not have to handle everything that passes in front of you, if you could just stop and let it go, when it's not in your jurisdiction and you're not going to have a spiritual gaining of victory, then your marriage would be sweet, the next generation would make it, and your life and legacy and influence and your personal joy uh, in life would live on in the Lord. You would be doing God's will. But we don't bear things. My dad taught me this principle uh, really several years into pastoring. I remember one time a church member was leaving and they were not disgruntled or anything, but um, they were leaving. And uh, I was so close to telling them something that I knew that would change the situation. But it wasn't for me to tell them. It was something confidential. And it was, but I wanted to tell them because it would make me feel good. It would make our church look good. Um, and it would change the situation in them leaving this ministry. And I remember calling my dad and saying, Dad, I'm just going to tell them what I know. I'm going to tell them what I know. They think that they, they've got all this figure. I'm going to tell them what I know. And, you know, kind of the I'm going to be right principle. Y'all know what I'm talking about? My dad said, son, you're just going to have to learn to bear some things. He said, I'll never forget, I was sitting over here in McDonald's parking lot on the phone. I still remember the conversation several years ago. And he said, you remember Jesus on the cross? He was misunderstood. He was mocked. He was this, that, and the other. But he just bore it all on the cross. And look who came out okay. 
Can I tell you that I bore it that day and I'm so thankful I did. God turned that thing around and I never had to, you know, spill what I know. I, I do this all the time in the church. Maybe somebody disgruntled, somebody this, that, or the other. They think they got it all figured out. I just bear some things, bite my tongue. And I don't mean to be saying this even in a spirit of pride, but just say, I'm not, I, don't have to, I don't have to tell everything that I know. And that's tough for me to do. I want to tell everything I know. Well, I'll tell you one thing. And when it comes to pastoring, there's a lot. It's like Jenga blocks of wisdom that I have to stay on my knees each and every day. But this principle right here keeps me grounded in bearing all things to just bite my tongue. I remember playing games with Charity. I mean, like Boggle. And she would say it wasn't a word, and I would say it is a word, and I have to look it up. Or she would have to look it up. And argue it over it. What's gained by that? So you got one more point, okay? You're in that circle. So uh, I encourage you tonight to take that common sense principle in place in your life. Number five, why does it seem like we're always trying to put out fires in marriage? Here's the wisdom common sense. Because the tongue is a fire starter. It's the tongue every single time. The Bible says in James 3.5, you can turn there if you'd like. Hebrews, James, James 3.5, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The Bible says a soft answer turneth away wrath. Listen to the statement. Are you ready? 99% of fires are caused by the wrong tone of voice. I heard this statement this week. Never trust your tongue when your heart is bitter. Never trust your tongue when your heart is bitter. But hold on, for those of you that like it, and I'm glad you like it, I'm going to make it biblical. Are you ready? That's biblical, but I'm going to complete it, or the Word of God's going to complete it tonight, because I'm going to use the Word of God here. Not just never trust your tongue when your heart is bitter. How about this? Never trust your tongue when your heart is beating. You say, what do we mean? Well, the Bible says the tongue can no man tame. Ever. I learned this principle a long time ago and it really helped me. At no point in your spiritual growth will you ever get to the point where you can trust your tongue. So if your heart is beating, especially if your heart is bitter, <laughs> as the first step, but if, you, if you're alive, you have to bridle your tongue. Would you look at James 3? Could you do that real quick? Hebrews, James, it'll be important for your marriage. James chapter number 3. Your tone of voice. Remember we taught in the parenting? If it is a negativity, you lower your voice. If it is an excitement and a positivity, you raise your voice. Hey, kids, we're excited. Hey, honey. If it's a negativity, honey, I, I need to talk to you. If you'll learn that principle in parenting and in marriage, you'll see your marriage turn around because it's the tongue that's starting the fires. Look at James 3, 2. I want you to read it. I want you to read it. It will not be behind me. I want you to see it. If any man offend not in word, the same as a... Per We're jumping in the middle of James 3 and verse 2. The same as a perfect or whole man is able also to bridle the whole body. Just like the horse has a bridle... Well, let me read it. Behold, we put bits, verse 3, in the horse's mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. Even though the whole body don't have a bridle, just the tongue. Behold also the ships which though they should be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm in the fierce winds, whithersoever the governor listeth. 
Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Look up here. I want you to understand how God goes over and over. I mean, I could spend the next 20 minutes just doing nothing but reading verses on the tongue. Matter of fact, when he comes to hell, he puts the tongue at the pinnacle. Remember? gnashing the tongue, the thirst of the tongue in hell. And it talks about that passage right there. It is set on fire of hell. Psalm 39 verse 1, the the Bible says, David said, I will take heed to my ways that I will not sin with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. He said, if my heart is beating and I am interacting with flawed human beings, a bridle is going to be in my tongue. Has a bridle been in your tongue today? I don't know, has it? That's the bridle. That's the bridle. The fruits of the Spirit is a bridle. I like the statement, never miss a good opportunity to shut up. I literally have this thing now where I bite the side of my tongue when I want to say something because I I like to talk. And I I mean, I, I, I don't think I like to talk, but people tell me that I like to talk. But anyways, so I'll bite my tongue. I remember when I first began directing the choir, and my mom sat right up here, and man, it was out of control. People were talking and doing all this kind of stuff, and, and it, was, it was out of control, and I remember I thought, because I had my big boy britches on, I was so prideful. You can always tell when somebody's not very spiritually mature, this kind of stuff happens, and I was a little punk, not spiritually mature. I thought I was. I'm directing the choir, and I thought, you know, I need to set them in order. That's, that's what a leader does. I need to set them in order, so I set them in order. My, my, my mom came back to me, and she says, son, you'll never do anything You'll never be a good leader. You'll never. And my mom was trying to help me because that's what somebody that loves you do. She said, in a soft tone of voice, all of this, but she was rebuking me. I thought you had to do it, you know, because I'm in charge. If you ever come across that way, you're not getting anything done. You're damaging stuff. Promise you, every time. But anyway, she just said, hey, son, you're never going to get anything done that way. She said, "Um, you upset people by the tone of your voice and by your words. And she said, "Uh, you are out of place. And she just says, I, I just want to help you with that. If you'll listen to me, I'll help you. She says, you can get a whole lot done other ways. And you know what? I began to, to just take her advice, not mine, but God's wisdom through my good old mother. And I led the choir and actually controlled the choir. Some of you, and you didn't even know it. By my speech, by true leadership. You can get a whole lot done. It's kind of the smile and wave boys mentality of, hey, that's good. I'm listening. I'm not going to spout off my mouth. I'm not going to come with a harsh tone. I teach the staff this. Absorb it, absorb it, absorb it. And it's tough to do. I'm, I'm the worst at it. It's tough to do. Absorb it, absorb it, absorb it. But then just go on about and lead and channel and bump and nudge into the way that God leads without pointing a finger when we think of the word rebuke, we think of chewing somebody out. That's not biblical. It's not biblical. Somebody can say amen there tonight if you'd like. Um, never good, miss a good opportunity to shut up. Number six, most marriages fail when they fail to launch into real marriage. Real marriage is true love and commitment. It's a covenant. The Bible says, as you see here, let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Not in thy youth, but of thy youth. Common sense is this. To everything, there's a newness. The wife of thy youth, or excuse me, in thy youth, are you listening tonight, is a newness. It's newness. 
You get a new car. It's newness. You get in it, and it runs naturally on that newness. You could call it, uh, it's not a biblical word, but I'm trying to use an illustration here, a euphoric feeling. Euphoric means intensity, extreme. And when people get married, for instance, in marriage, the first year there's this euphoric in the romantic side of life. That's all I'll say there. And after a year, naturally the newness of that wears off. So when you get baptized, the Bible talks about walking in newness of life because it's talking about a daily dying to self. It's revival. And most marriages fail to launch into real marriage where it truly gets good and gets sweet. They're only living in that newness. That's why they'll go for a year and they'll love it. Then they'll go for about another year or two of just drudgery in the average marriage. And then they'll finally go try to find another new relationship. If they're Christians and they don't follow the spiritual intimacy thing and really repent and try to get right with God and go for the Bible, then what happens? They'll have the newness for about a year, the drudgery for about two years, and then just give up and live with a bad marriage for 20, 30, 40 years because at least they have commitment, and I'm thankful for that. But even marriages that have been married for 25 to 30 years, you've failed to launch into true marriage where you die to self and you love your spouse because that's what God told you to do and you love them selflessly as Christ loved the church have you failed to launch 20 years 30 years 40 years have you failed to launch or are you just sad that it wasn't the way that it once was number seven customer service is everything customer service is everything so before you get married before you get married listen carefully just some good old-fashioned common sense it's all about customer service what do I mean by that I'm going to use this as an illustration, common sense, wisdom. You, you want a client, meaning you want somebody to spend a life with you and to love you and you want to love them and he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. And so it's all about customer service. Your future spouse is going to be your customer or your client, right? Everybody following what I'm saying, meaning you want them to marry you. Are you all following this or not? Okay. So you have incredible customer service. Ladies, you're fixing up. You're taking care of yourself. You're cooking the meal just perfectly. Guys, you're always calling. You're trying to be on time. You're doing all of these things. You have incredible customer service. Then you get the customer and you have terrible customer service. How many of you have seen this in business where they, you know, when you push one for sales, they answer right away. When you push two for customer service, you ain't getting through, sister. So what I do, there's one company, I always push one for sales. And I act like, I don't deceive them, I really don't, but I act like I'm, you know, in the questions I'm asking that I want to know more about their product, because I do. But then I bring up the customer service issue and then they'll transfer me. But what happens is you go stinky on customer service. And if you change after marriage, your marriage will not be good. Because, for instance, ladies become negative after marriage. We didn't marry a negative lady. So you changed in your customer service. I see ladies, I'm not talking about looking like a hussy and just trying to paint your face and all that, but I talk about ladies, I see ladies that just let it go. They don't care anymore. And you wonder why your marriage isn't good. I'm telling you, it's about presenting yourself in such a way that says, I want my husband to love me and want me in all areas, and the same for a man. 
We just change. We won the victory. We got married and move on. And our customer service stinks. We do not serve one another. We do not care about one another. Some will say, look, I'm not going to handle the matter wisely or unwisely. I'm just not going to handle it. But when it comes to marriage and taking care of your spouse, it's all about customer service. And your spouse is your customer. It's the one who God has brought into your life to complete you. And so if you let it go, it will go. You say, well, I'm not pretty anymore. Ladies, if you understood that it was not about, it's about the wife of thy youth. It's not about you being what Hollywood is promoting. Are you listening? It's about you just taking care of yourself. Look, if you think that you're way overweight, you're this, that, or that, you would be shocked at how much uh, um, um, completeness that you can bring to your spouse, your husband, uh, if you would just take care of yourself. And the same for a man. In all areas. Number eight, your marriage needs the edification of the body. The Bible in Ephesians chapter number four talks about God giving to the church many different offices. It talks about the word, the testimony of the first century church. It starts with the apostles. Then it moves to the preachers and the preaching of God's word. And then it goes down through the list and ends up with um, uh, pastors and teachers. So apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Four, here it is, the edifying of the body of Christ. Are you listening? The edifying of the body of Christ. When you get married to become, what's our theme? So we are one body in Christ as a married couple. We're joined together that our prayers be not hindered, husbands and wives. Remember? So you need and must have a local church for your marriage. It's just common sense. You know, I want a better marriage, but you can't have the commitment to show up to Christ's organized bride. And you want to have a good bride or a good groom? It's common sense, folks. Number nine, common sense in finding a spouse. We're going to go quickly, listen carefully. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. And again, I'm concerned a little bit because there's so much under each one of these points that I could give. We're just scratching the surface, but this is where God has led over the past few months. Common sense, wisdom, and finding a spouse. We have six weddings coming up that I know of in the first part of this year, and um, no doubt there'll be more. Uh, and uh, these have already found a spouse, a future spouse, and we'll talk to them, them in a moment, and parents in a moment. But this is for you children. This is for teenagers. Are you ready? And parents, you can listen in too. Whoso findeth the wife, findeth the good thing. So number one, if you are ever going to seek counsel about everything, AKA, you're not going to be a complete idiot that never asks counsel from parents, from pastors, from spiritual leaders in your life. If you're ever going to seek counsel about everything, about anything, seek it about this. Amen. amen. Can some of you dads say amen for, you got some children listening? Seek it about this. Don't just seek it to your parents. Seek it to others. Seek it to your pastor or the pastor of that lady and both or man. Are you listening? If you're ever going to, now if you're not and you're just an idiot that never hearkens or listens or seek counsel, then you're going to have a bad marriage. But if you want a good marriage, then this is the pinnacle thing that you want to seek. When? Right now. Right now. How old? 12, 13, 14, 15. When you're old enough that the opposite sex begins to get on your brain, seek counsel from mom and dad. Say, mom and dad, talk to me about this. I don't want to get married. Talk to me about this. And if you're, if you're of that age, if you're, if you're 16 or under, don't come talk to me or my wife unless you talk to your parents first so we understand that we're all on the same page. 
But, but come talk to, to, to me and say, hey, what, what, do you, what do you, and I'm not, I'm not a matchmaker. Some people are good at that. I'm not, uh, but I, I, I will pastor your heart in that. Number two, you are choosing to give your life to somebody for life. Choose wisely. I have a list in my office of actual reasons why the average person gets married and they are staggering. That's for another message another time. Number three, beauty and money are vain. They will leave you empty. Beauty is extremely ugly and resentful if it's only on the outside. And the only way for it to be on the inside is for that young lady to have spiritual intimacy. Many times, modest, what some would even call homely wives, for instance, make the most incredible, amazing wives. Here's why. Wives that have beauty on the outside and they're always trying to flaunt how beautiful they are. Hear me well and read into this, adults. They're satisfied because they have people on the outside, at the gas station, at the store, and God forbid, sometimes even at church, giving them attention. When I see a lady really dressing provocatively, I always have a concern. They have problems in the bedroom. Why? Because they're craving to be noticed. I don't mean ladies, and I'm not trying to make you feel, look, ladies, I'm glad you try hard, and I know there's a line here that you're working on. I'm talking about when somebody is trying to dress provocatively, and girls you know, or you should know, and husbands you should tell, and, 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 and dads you know, teenagers, but when, 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 when you're trying to dress provocatively, now when somebody's not, guess what? When they bring themselves to their husbands, they're excited about it because they want that attention. There's a lot of truth there. We'll move on. Next, to future dating or courting. If he is willing to cheat with you, he will be willing to cheat with others. Period. I want to say I've been in this a long time. I haven't, but I have been doing it for 17 years, since 2004, in talking with young people in counseling. That is relatively a short amount of time, but my dad and others in the room, all across the room, can, can verify that. 100% of the time. Now, it doesn't mean 100% of the time they do cheat, but it's a a much higher uh, percentage and danger. If a girl has a hard time submitting to her parents, she will have a hard time submitting to you. I laugh, and it's sad. I laugh at these couples or future couples that they turn so inward, and they think that it's going to be them, and they push everybody else out. Because I realize soon they're going to be pushing each other out. It happens 100% of the time because you are who you are. And how you treat others will be how you treat yourself. So just remember that. Girls, if you're marrying a guy who is not respectful of your or his parents, mark it down. I promise I'll sign my name tonight. He will or she will not be respectful of you. But he or she loves me. And we're together. I promise you. Now, will you listen to this tonight? So what do we do? Well, if, if God has not led you yet to date them, don't date them. If God has led you to, you talk about it, you pray about it, you figure it out. If you sense even the slightest disrespect to your parents, even the slightest, Amen. I, would, I would get counsel, I would be all over that. Remember the law of gravity. A young man will say, well, I just want to help her out. She's low spiritually. No, the weakest one will pull down the other couple in a dating relationship. Now, in marriage, a strong married can pull up, but before the covenant, it always pulls down. And I hear these girls, Pastor Michael, well, I'm going to help him. I know he's got this problem, and he's a murderer and a rapist, but we're going to help him. And we're just going, ain't no common sense in that brain. (laughs) 
if they, she or he, have a dominant, controlling, or harsh spirit now, or stubborn spirit, it will only get worse after marriage. You are seeing the best right now. There's so much that I would love to give, but let's talk about wisdom for parents. The battle is always long before the battle. Make a decision before you have to make a decision. Parents should have and decide and program it into their children's head to have total veto power on both sides. Dad, would you come help me tonight? Man, I haven't got to use you in an illustration. Come on up here. He used to always use me. So total veto power. If my dad brings a young lady, we won't illustrate that, him bringing, but if he brings somebody and says, hey, I, I think maybe that you ought to date this person. Houses and lands are from fathers, but a wife is from the Lord. That's what the Bible says. I need to honor, honor means, and I'll talk about this in a moment, putting him on a pedestal, so I need to listen to him above all else, okay? I need to pray and look instead of saying, I don't care who it is, I'm not going to look, but look and pray and say, Dad, She's one of those that's got a good heart, but that's about it. Anyways, um, you know, the ones that your parents say, well, she loves the Lord, and that's good, but okay, does she have to sneak up on a glass of water just to get a drink? But anyways, um, so he brings, he brings somebody, are you listening? He brings somebody, I have total veto power. How many of you single parents are happy about that? Raise your hand, biblically. Come on now, you ought to be happy about it, you ain't got a brain. Anyways, common sense, but... Biblically, he has total veto power. Because children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And it astounds me that we followed secular... Well, I'm, I'm over 16. I'm over 17. I'm over 15. I'm over 14. I can do what I want to do. Until you get married, you're to obey him. And then after marriage, you're to honor him. We'll talk about that in a moment. However, <clears throat> he has total veto power to say, not them. If you will program that into your children right now... The dad can take the leadership role, and dads, it starts early on. I would have been married to a whole lot of people, different than, or I, I don't know what I'd be, but I'd, I'd be messed up. If it wasn't for my dad taking leadership in all seven, to my knowledge, there was vetoes from dad in all seven. In all seven, there was vetoes from all seven to dad, to dad. We vetoed him time and time again. No, dad, no, no, please, no. <laughs> and you say, okay, that you have veto power. But in all seven, dad vetoed somebody and thank God for his grace. All seven of us, we all got together with all our kids and it was like a, a crazy house. And we all are so thankful. And we all wrote uh, tributes to dad and all of that and to mom, of course, of their leadership and being strong before the battle. Thank you. Once they get engaged... You've scrambled an egg if you want vetoed power then. Not to say it can't be done because you are still in charge, but the battle is before the battle. I like to illustrate it this way, and you can call it this way. Girls, you can even come to your dad and ask, are they in the horse corral or are they in the corral? So for instance, there is a corral, and there are horses in that corral, and if they are horses in that corral, you can date them. If they are not in that crowd, you say, well, then dad's putting them in there. No, I'm not talking about a physical crowd where they put them in there. He's not picking and putting them in there. It's the principle to say, hey, dad, are they one of those horses that's in the crowd? No, 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 they ain't in the crowd. They are not in the crowd. You're not taking one of them wild ones. Are you following what I'm saying? And you could just have that fun little thing. Hey, dad, are they in the crowd? Hey, mom, would that one be in the corral? Yeah, I think they might be in the crowd. Let's pray about it. See what I'm saying? 
And so that, that'll help you parents. And again, there's a lot of things, but it must be mentally programmed. Prayer and leadership is the key. Parents are too soft when it comes to marriage. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Parents need to get in the driver's seat. The not now, not ever principle needs to be applied early on. So for instance, I remember, and I could call a name, Michael, you probably remember, I rode a bikes and we wanted to ride past her house to see if she was out in the yard. Me and Michael riding bikes around town because I liked this girl. And I had to be 14 or 15 because I was riding my bike with Michael. Anyways, you remember that? You know who I'm talking about too. And, um, and so we rode by. And so dad realized that we kind of had this attraction that happens to 14-year-olds. I had this attraction. And uh, my dad so wisely came to me. And instead of pointing out what he didn't like about the individual... Parents do that. Well, you know, I just don't know if they have a good attitude and I don't know this and I don't know that. So what I would like to say is, so if they had all that, then we could go forward? Well, no. Well, then why get down into the weeds? It's the no, not now, not ever principle. Ready? Are you ready for it? No, not now, not ever. He cannot see into the future. So as of today, he feels led at 14 years of age, no, not now and not ever. Well, how do you know not ever? Because today, in your stage of life, not now, not ever, meaning they're not to be in your mind for 18, 19, 20, or 21. Well, I should be praying about them. No, you should be praying about you and your relationship to God at this age until you're marriageable, until it's time to date or court. Follow me? Here's what happens to parents all the time. I see it happen all the time. It breaks my heart. Well, not right now. I know y'all like each other, but not right now. Well, guess what that means? I'm not going to pray about anybody else. I'm not. So you essentially are silently dating. So it's the no, not now, not ever principle. You say, well, what about when they're 18? Well, then God can come back to you and tap your heart and say, and you say, look, I said no, not now, not ever for when you were 14. That was the principle for that day. But you know what? God has changed our heart in this young person. Are you following what I'm saying? And many parents get into a survival mode with their children. I just want my child to marry a good boy. And so dumb mothers, I'm trying to speak in common sense. I need to speak in the right tone of voice. So unwise mothers um, will start promoting these relationships early on. That's idiotic. Take it for what it's worth, but I'm trying to help you here. Wisdom for couples, common sense wisdom for couples. Man, this stuff I've had for so long, and I'm so thrilled to get up, but there's so much more. You'll have to come back for more later. The pyramid principle, it astounds me. This is what the world does. And by the way, I could, this is not really the starting point for when you're dating or engaged. So if this is you and there's a lot or of that age, <clears throat> or maybe one day will. There's a lot I'd like to give you about finding the right one and all of that. I'm just trying to give you some common sense tonight, and we'll get some other biblical principles later. But the pyramid principle is this. When they first get married, parents too, this is for you parents, they think, oh, they need a chaperone, and they do at all times. It's good for a man not to touch a woman, period. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. That means when you're married, you touch. When you don't, you don't. When you're not, you don't. Okay, but they first start to notice one another. Maybe there's... 17, 18, 19, 20, whatever age there are, 25, 45, 105, whatever. They start to notice one another and we're like, oh, we got to keep them apart. We got to watch them. And that's good. That's good. I'm not, I make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Then they get closer in marriage, to marriage. They get engaged. And I hear these dumb, idiotic statements. Well, they're engaged now. So, you know, we don't really have to watch them anymore. You know, they're engaged, so we don't have to have any make no provision for the flesh protocols in our, in our dating relationship or engagement anymore. That is idiotic. Here's why. The pyramid principle. The closer 
you get to marriage, the closer you're getting to one another, and it's like two magnets. Watch this. If you're out here, you're fine, but at some point in time, boop, I don't care how spiritual you are. Parents, please, once the, the, the month of our wedding, because I worked here on staff and my dad traveled out, and they, I gave them no reason not to trust me that I know of. Um, the, 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 the month before, Charity was not allowed to drive into town alone, into Washington unannounced. You say, did you like that? No, but I'm thankful for it. Because we were heated up and ready to go. We're ready to get married. And so it's the pyramid principle. A lot I'd like to talk about, but family matters. How many times in any marriage advice have you heard this? Raise your hand if you have. You don't just marry an individual, you marry a family. Raise your hand. Look around the room. How many of you are married and one way or another that has come to fruition? Raise your hand. Look around. I'd say 100% of marriages. I might have missed one or two. You don't just marry a family. You marry, you marry an individual. You marry a family. And what happens is you think, because this is the way I was with charity. When we get married, it's just going to be us two. And I want to establish my little boundaries. And I want to establish my little home. And certainly mom and dad will talk about later. It's leave and cleave, okay? So as far as the obedience level, uh, that needs to go. Like, we, you know, you shouldn't be telling us what to do, okay? However, follow this. We have this. And so, you know, it's just her and I. But wait a minute. One day, the newness of marriage is over. And the years that my wife Charity spent with Benita Epley uh, are remembered and respected. No matter how good or bad of a home you had, they're respected. And if I or she do not understand that I'm marrying into a family and respect that as the Bible teaches, I will push apart my marriage. Somebody say amen tonight. Here's the Bible is very, very explicit on this. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Say, yeah, that's for children. No, that's for older people. The Bible says, hearken uh, unto thy father. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 22, not only just hearken unto thy father, um, but despise not thy mother when she is old. What does the word honor mean? It means put them on a pedestal. Roll out the red carpet. You ought to have my dad. Now, when I first got married, because I didn't know. Now, I knew my dad. He's so principled. But, you know, is, 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 is he going to come in my house and tell me what to do? And, all, and we, had our, we didn't tell anybody where we were going on our, on our honeymoon until a weekend. Then we called home. Hey, I want to tell you where we're at. You know? But yeah, this is our home. But as I spiritually matured and grew, follow this. Red carpet. If they said, hey, son, we want to come over tonight. Red carpet, let's pop some popcorn. Because they're on a pedestal. And Stephen Benita Epler are on a pedestal. You say, well, I don't like that because you don't know who my parents are and they're lost. They're, they're not saved or whatever the case may be. Honor thy father and thy mother. Do you have that verse there? Honor thy father and thy mother. Do you have that? Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So prior to marriage, obedience is the key. Proverbs 20, verse 20, Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. I don't want that in marriage, do you? The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. And again I say, work on that in family matters, because again, how a sister treats a sibling how a brother treats a sibling will be how they treat you. Period. Common sense. 
<clears throat> I'd like to give engagement and wedding ceremony advice because we have a bunch in here right now and others watching online uh, that they have told me uh, in other places. And the spouse is even watching online. But let me just say this in closing, and I have a couple closing things that will be done. I've preached a long time. But let me just say this. Have a Christ-honoring wedding. It's not about you. Have a Christ-honoring wedding. It's amazing when you come to weddings, all the secular garbage. And thank God we protect it here in this church, and we have standards, thank God. But have a Christ-honoring wedding and do things wisely. I always say every single, if you've ever been to a rehearsal thing, I'll say, don't, don't do a bachelorette or bachelor party. You know, if you want to do something not surrounding the wedding um, with some friends or whatever, do something that's prayed about and that's in a chaste manner. But, but, but don't do stupid stuff. Does that make sense? Have some common sense in marriage. Let me close with this. If you are trying to change your marriage or your spouse, you will never succeed. Because if Bob has a problem here and there and everywhere, and especially in marriage, then maybe Bob is the problem. I just want to change him. If I could change him. If I could change my marriage. It wouldn't accomplish anything. But if you change you, if you change you, this is what common sense says from the Word of God, then you will have done your best at changing your marriage and allowing God to do what only he can do. Father, we thank you for your truth and your wisdom from the word of God. Bless us tonight as we make some decisions. In Jesus' name, would you stand? If God has spoken to your heart, I invite you to come even now as the music plays. Make some decisions tonight. And I know that was a lot of stuff, but we'll, we'll send out the uh, notes with all the scriptures. And you can see them in a nice organized point level that you can just share with your family and family devotion sometime and pray about. Here's the beauty of all of this. If God stepped on your toes like he did mine in the message tonight, thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. I believe in grace. I believe in People drawing closer to God and making correction. I, if I didn't believe it, I wouldn't preach it. And thank God that God has grace with me. I think I'm going to look back on today and realize how spiritually immature I am here in 2020. But having said that, I look back at 2008, the year I got married, and I think, oh, dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. Let's give that gift away. Father, bless us, I pray, as we serve you. Help us. Thank you for this church family that we love so dearly. Help us to all come with the spirit of unity and grace and spirit fullness, Lord, and humility to seek you with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, while you're standing, can we do it that fast? Let's, sure. give, it, let's give it a shot.
All right, so the Iowa River Power uh, gift certificates right here. How we're going to play this game is how we played it last week with a few exceptions. Last week, we kind of did a free-for-all where I just gave you some random questions and anybody had a chance to raise their hand. Um, but this time around, we're going to have questions specifically for ladies, questions specifically for men. And so we're going to do it in rounds this way. Have a seat, please, as we do this. Brother Michael, if you can come forward, please help uh, on the stage and call it. So how are we going to do this? Women are always first. So these, this question will be for ladies. So ladies will have a chance for this. Then I'll go to the men. The first person, whether lady or man, to get two correct will be the winner. All right. Just for ladies. Are you ready? Ladies, just for you. Answer this question, if you would, please. Tight end is a position in what sport? Brother Michael. Sherry Hildebrand. Football is the correct answer. Let's give her a hand. Very good. All right. This is just for men. Ladies cannot answer just for men. What is a spoolie brush used for? Jacob Hildebrand. Incorrect. Does any other guy want to take a shot at this one? Sam Smith. Brother Sam? A hoof cleaner? Ladies, do you know the answer to this question? Eyebrow shaping. Eyebrow shaping. You all knew that, though. Okay. For women, women only, women only. All right, ladies? For women only. Women only, this is your question. What's that? Yeah, first, first person to get two correct. Right. No, Jacob, that doesn't count. I'm sorry. Ladies, what is the unit of measurement used to measure firewood? Marshall, what? Cord is the correct answer. A cord of firewood. We got one here. All right, Ms. Sherry as well. Men, all right. All right, men, traditionally, what color is not to be worn after Labor Day? Um, it was uh, Philip. Philip. White. White is the correct answer. Let's give him a hand. All right, for women only, women only, Danner, Red Wing, and Wolverine are types of what? Kelly Cope. Sorry? Boots, that is correct. Give her a hand. Very good. Men only. After moisturizer, what is the next product to be applied? This is a makeup thing, I think. Wyatt? Andy? Conditioner, no. Any other man who is next? Jake Hiltebrand? Uh, no, incorrect. <laughs> He was so confident, too. So the, the correct answer, I'm told, is primer. Coincidentally, as long as you put that on walls. Um, <laughs> next question. Women only, women only. Right, ladies? What is the shape of a speed square? No, incorrect. Mary Ebersole said triangle. That is the correct answer. Let's give her a hand. I know, I know, I know. 
For men only, men only. A-line, pencil, and wrap. Andy? <laughs> Brother Pete, they're skirts. That is the correct answer, Brother Pete. Yeah. Yeah. Eyebrows it is tonight. Next question. Ladies only. Okay, ladies only. This is only for you. Um, traditional 30-06 hunting rifles have what kind? I'll finish the question. Traditional 30-06 hunting rifles have this kind of action. I saw Kelly. Bolt action is correct. That is to you, Brother Michael. If you'll run this back. Thank you very much for playing tonight. All right, let's all stand. Christmas gifts on Sunday still need many gifts. The kids are going to come through. We're going to hand them to them right here in the service. And we're short how many, Brother Dan, as you close this in prayer? Absolutely. And we'll go to Lord in a word of prayer. Come on up here. Gospel baskets, please get those out. We passed out 300 in the service. January 9th is coming up. It's hard to believe. Kaylee and Wyatt, January 9th, 3 p.m. right here in the auditorium. You want to be here. It's going to be an awesome day. And it says registered Amazon Target, but I think you've already, did you already have your shower? Yes. Okay, so don't forget that. And then January 23rd, Trevor and Alyssa. Exciting stuff coming up. The office will be closed next Thursday and Friday, the 24th and 25th for Christmas. Brother Dan, tell us about it. All right, don't check out. There's lots of gifts back there. You've done a nice job. They're wonderfully wrapped, but here's what we need. I really need 20 fourth through sixth grade girls, right? So whatever we can get, I need 20. I need, I hardly have any, I need at least 15 teenage boys, and then I need about 10 fourth through sixth grade boys. So I'm going to say it again. We need about 20 fourth through sixth grade girls, I need about 15 teenage boys and about 10 fourth through sixth grade. It's marvelous. You have about 260 back there. The mix isn't quite right. Need about 300. Um, that would be great. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for what we've heard tonight. Wisdom for marriage. Help us to apply it. Help me to be able to use it, Lord, to assimilate it and use it in my own home, my own marriage. Um, bless us as we go our ways now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's show that graphic real quick. Teen Christmas party is the night of the candlelight. They're going to meet at three and get out bags and then come back here for a time together. You don't want to miss candlelight either. It's going to be awesome. But there it is. And they're available back here. God bless you. You're dismissed.